Hello, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone, episode number two, The Grandmaster's Gab. We are joined tonight by three very distinguished guests, and it is my pleasure to introduce them. We have, joining us from Rhode Island, the most worshipful past Grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of Rhode Island, most worshipful brother Ken Poyton. Ken, welcome. It's great to be with you, my brothers. Joining us from the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, most worshipful Grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, most worshipful brother Richard Maggio. Grandmaster, welcome. Good evening. Uh, my pleasure to be here. And with Homefield Advantage this evening, joining us from the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, the most worshipful Grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, most worshipful brother Ken Clay. Grandmaster, welcome. Good evening, my brother, and to all those who have joined uh, this uh, podcast, welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here this evening. We are here to get a little bit of an insight into what it is that the grandmasters in our jurisdictions do and what it means to be grandmasters. So thank you uh, to our guests this evening, and thank you to everybody watching. And with that, I think we'll just get started. So to kick this off, I guess one of the first questions that I'd like to ask is something that not a lot of brothers may have insight into. As master of my lodge, I know that the things that I do behind the scenes are varied and sometimes aren't very visible. And I can only imagine what that means for you as the grandmasters of, of your relative jurisdictions. So why don't you give us a little bit of an insight into what a day in the life of a grandmaster is like? Most worshipful Poynton, do you want to weigh in? Sure. Uh, well, for me, um, I'm I was um, I'm working, so I was doing work and grandmaster at the same time. And um, you know, in Rhode Island, it's uh, probably it's a lot different, I think, than other states, but maybe not that different. Um, you know, my day would be uh, you know work and checking in in the office, and you know, see what's going on. If there are any been any invites that have come in um, that I need to know about. And uh, so things like that would be a day of the life, a normal day. And then I would obviously get my work done and, and uh, get ready to go to an event at night um, or on the weekends and uh, be with the brethren and or the rainbow, Demolay, whatever, and just go, go, go. Go, go, go seems to be a, a theme with every uh, every Mason, but most certainly with the Grandmasters I've spoken to. Grandmaster Maggio, do you have anything that you'd like to tell us about? Sure. Um, you know, we all know about all the fraternal things that we do. And it, it varies from state to state, depending on how big the jurisdiction is. What um, caught me a little by surprise was all my other responsibilities. For example, I'm chairman of the Grand Lodge Board of Directors. And that group handles all the business aspects of the fraternity, as well as managing the properties. And we have a uh, 110,000 square foot building in the corner of Boston and Tremont Street, right across from the Common and the State House. And we have uh, a facility out in Charlton. I'm also the president of the Masonic Education and Charity Trust, which oversees all the charitable activities of Grand Lodge. 
I'm also the chairman of the Grand Lodge Library and Museum Board of Directors, which is responsible for the Samuel Crocker Lawrence Library and Museum. I'm a member of the Masonic Health System, which is our campus in Overlook, which is a 450-acre campus that um, has independent living, uh, post-acute skilled nursing. We have about 600 employees and we serve over 1,800 uh, just with our OVNA. Wow. The other, the other aspect, which kind of caught me a little off guard too, was the amount of time I need to spend in the office. Um, we're, we're pretty hands-on. Um, every time there's a donation to Grand Lodge or the Charity Trust, I sign every one of the letters that goes out as a thank you. Um, in addition to diplomas, awards, and other documents. But I think probably the biggest challenge has been dealing on a day-to-day basis with uh, problems. And those problems are numerous, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those later. Oh, absolutely. And Grandmaster Clay, how about you? Sure. So I, too, am a, am a working man. So got to be pretty careful about how I, I manage the events of my day. I typically start out in the morning by checking to see if I've got any critical uh, emails. Uh, and then I do my, my day job. Uh, but throughout my day job, I, I need to make sure that I'm staying abreast of things, uh, both email and, and uh, in the event that I receive any texts or calls. Uh, then in the evening, if I'm not attending a, a Masonic activity, Early on, I, I had to, to put together a, a notebook of, of my plan, and it's filled with all sorts of uh, various elements. Right now, as many of you know, we're in the middle of a launch of instruction. And so what I'm constantly doing is checking that to make sure that, that the events that we have coming up in the, in the coming months uh, are on track, that we've got uh, plans that are coming into place. Certainly, COVID has uh, had a dramatic, dramatic impact on that. But um, the amount of planning uh, and communication that's involved in this job um, really is, is something that, that uh, caught me a little bit off guard uh, in terms of how much work really goes into making sure that you've got a detailed plan, uh, that you're adjusting that plan as needed and then communicating it properly. Um, most worshipful uh, Grandmaster Maggio, question for you. The other uh, gentleman here this evening has said that they're still working. Are you still currently employed in the workforce? I am not. I was retired when um, I came into this position. And uh, frankly, I don't think it's possible to to work full-time and be Grandmaster of Massachusetts. I'm probably putting in right now with uh, without fraternal visits, et cetera, but just office time and um, – dealing with issues throughout the jurisdiction, I'll bet I put in a good 40, 50 hours a week. And then the fraternal aspects are on top of that. Obviously, Massachusetts is a much larger jurisdiction than either New Hampshire or Rhode Island. But I I know uh, most worshipful Clay, the, the amount of travel that I've seen you do over the course of the last 18 months and uh, most worshipful Poynton, if you could... Uh, both give me a little bit of insight what it's like to juggle your Masonic obligations, especially in a busy season like visitation and lodge of instruction season with your, your everyday life as a, a person outside of the lodge. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to make one statement. Never again will I complain about, Oh, I've got to travel to a Masonic function. 
because we all went through four months of wishing we could travel to a Masonic function and couldn't. That's um, the truth. So uh, this weekend alone, I mean, as as most of you know, uh, we really have turned the lights back on here in New Hampshire, and, and I know that my my distinguished colleagues have as well in their grand jurisdictions. Uh, this weekend alone, I had four functions uh, that I attended. What that really means is having a very special lady at home that uh, is able to, to tolerate us being gone a fair amount. Uh, many times she's able to join me as well. Uh, and then you've got you know extended family. I've got a situation now where I've got a, a member of my extended family that's staying with us. So these are all factors that that play into uh, really, I think, time management being uh, critically important in this role. Most worshipful Brother Poynton? Well, you know, one of the fortunate things about Rhode Island is our size. We're, we're small, so um, I don't have to worry about traveling to the farthest lodge away, which is about a 40-minute ride, <laughs> and uh, being home at a reasonable time. Um, and so that that was relatively easy for me. I would, uh, you know, I've got a position at work where I um, I can leave a little early if need be. And so, um, you know, if it was a long ride, I would bring my my uh, tails or whatever I had to wear that night to work, and I would just leave from the office. But um, you know, you you do need a very understanding wife, but. You know, I think both of us realized that, you know, we weren't going to get into this and not do the best that we could. And uh, she certainly is happy, was happy a lot of nights that she didn't have to cook. <laughs> Where are you going that, tonight? That I get. Yeah. But uh, so the travel was, was, you know, in the state was pretty easy. Um, you know, one of the tough parts about us was my wife is a teacher and she's, you know, we could, she couldn't always accompany me to the events out of state, which was, um, you know, really, really too bad. But we did the best we could uh, with what we could do. So, obviously, this the last six months have presented some unique challenges to Masons across the country and across the world. And... I imagine that within your relative jurisdictions, nobody uh, more than the three of you have been challenged by what's happening in order to make a plan and, and keep your jurisdictions running. So let's you know talk about the elephant in the room. How have the last six months or the COVID pandemic in general shaped for uh, Grandmaster Clay and Grandmaster Maggio shaped the term that you're currently in and, and most worshipful point in, your term ended uh, recently. How did COVID shape the end of your term? Well, basically for me, every the last event that I did in person was in February. Uh, we had come from the Conference of Grand Masters, and then my wife and I went down to Florida to present some awards down there, and, and we came back, and, and that was it. Uh, you know, that was the end of our uh, in-person visitations and uh, and whatnot. And then, you know, once Zoom got going, that that became, for me, much more difficult uh, because I, I felt that um, as Grandmaster, we, you know, we are a servant. We're servant leaders. And everybody wants the Grandmaster to be 
you know, come to their function and um, make sure we realize and remember that, hey, this lodge or the rainbow or Demolay or whatever is out there. And it's important that we go and we show our support whenever we can. And um, so that all stopped. But Zoom, you know, um, do you want me to get into this now or I can get into it later? What, you know, how we started with the Zoom and all that, you know, um, Tim, whatever you if you want to talk about it now, I think we can we can listen and then we can hear from the the two sitting okay. grandmasters and see how their experience is different. Well, uh, you know um, what we did, what I you know we did in Rhode Island. Uh, as soon as things started, you know, the governor started clamping down. Um, you know, I immediately was able to say, okay, you know, you can do this, this, and this. You can uh, have a have an in person meeting. Um, if you want with limited offices. And then um, I also said, you know, you can meet by email, you know, if, if that's what you can do and the top five offices, you know, would uh, vote on, on the business. And um, so I let them do that. And I think for a lot of lodges, um, I also let, I said, if you, if you do this, um, it's not an in-person meeting, but it will be a meeting. It counts as a meeting. And because so for many of our lodges, it's that string of meetings, unbroken string is a big deal. You know, we've never missed a meeting and um, I wanted to make sure they could do that. You know, Rhode Island being small, uh, we could, we can act a lot quicker than I think some, you know, jurisdiction like Massachusetts. You know, we just have the, that ability. Um, you know, we've only, we've got five district deputies and five districts, and it's, it's pretty, pretty manageable to get things going quickly in Rhode Island. And so that's what I did. I, you know, is, you know, I had to switch, you know, was from letting people be in the lodge almost the following week as, as uh, two grand masses will attest, then that stopped. It was happening so quickly. You know, we were just kind of in crisis management. Uh, how do we handle the next crisis that's going to come with us? But fortunately for Rhode Island, the lodges got on the Zoom kick right away, right away. And so, um, you know, we, we let the lodges meet. And, uh, you know, I, I had some, some rules that I wanted them to follow. And... Uh, you know, after, you know, so that started in, in March, you know, probably towards the end of April, I said, okay, you know, I've been to enough meetings to know that I've got to, I've got to tighten up a little bit. You know, to me, it was getting a little too relaxed uh, and the conversations and they were forgetting titles and, and that type of thing, you know, very innocently I and mean, easy to do if you're not in a large room and I, you know, I stress, remember, you you aren't in a Masonic meeting and you have to act as such. Um, you know, I, I I tightened up a little bit the, uh, the dress code uh, um, that was comfortable for me. And uh, the brethren, I think, um, took to it very well. Um, and I, I was, you know, for, I, fortunately for me, you know, for me, you know, lodges, I was done in May, you know, I didn't have the, the daunting task that uh, 
other grandmasters and our current grandmaster have now. Um, you know, I only had to worry about till the end of, you know, the middle of May. But certainly, sonically, in person in Rhode Island, like everywhere, it just stopped. It just came to a screeching halt. So... Obviously, the experience here in New Hampshire had, had some similar parallels. Most Worshipful Clay, how did you find uh, the, the start of the COVID pandemic and then the plan as you've evolved over the course of the last six months? Well, I think, uh, I think the brethren of New Hampshire know that uh, myself and the Grand Line, we were going a mile a minute. Uh, we, were having, we were probably having five to six events a week, traveling like crazy, and then March for me was the last time that I did a, a face-to-face. I did an installation uh, with our deputy grandmaster uh, in Franklin. And then that was it. Um, I, I will say, though, that what really impresses me is that in times of crisis, you really see certain people stepping up. Uh, my grand line and our grand lodge office and our Grand Lodge Communication Committee really, really did a fantastic job throughout the entire process. From the point that we, we realized that we had to stop face-to-face engagements until where we are here today, I thought we all worked as a very cohesive team in making sure that the Brethren of New Hampshire really understood uh, what they could and couldn't do and under what guidelines they had to operate. Um, clearly, there were some things that we we instituted that people weren't happy about. Not everyone uh, is thrilled with wearing a mask. I understand that. Um, but there's, there's things that we had to do based on CDC, local, state, and federal guidelines. So I appreciate the Brethren being so flexible throughout that process, but I really want to thank the team that, that stood up uh, to really taking a gut punch and doing a fantastic job of keeping all the members of our jurisdiction informed. Personally, as I said, as a master of a lodge in New Hampshire, the communication was critical. It, it, there was a lot going on and it was changing every day. So it was good to have that communication. Now, most worshipful Maggio, I, I've saved you for last grandmaster because your experience where you are was clearly different than I think the rest of us. So Massachusetts was one of the hardest hit states and it came early and it came fast. So I'd like to hear your insight into the, the last six months. Well, we, I was installed on uh, December 27th, 2019. And over the course of January and February, we had a significant amount of events and we were scheduled to have our first quarterly communication with me as grandmaster on March 10th. On March 9th, the whole thing came down like a house of cards in Massachusetts. So on March 9th, I was confronted with what am I going to do tomorrow? Because we had made arrangements for uh, 200 for lunch, 600 for the quarterly. We had meals, we had uh, transportation preparations, and now I'm confronted with what do we do? Well, we had to shut down the fraternity that night. Um, we had a, a good system of communication and we were able to contact everyone that was supposed to attend in the morning at 7 a.m. There's quite a few that come in early. Um, and as it turned out, we only had one brother that showed up that didn't get the message out of 600. 
Wow. We were pretty happy with that. Not happy that we missed the quarterly. I had spent the day before researching um, the proceedings from the pandemic of 1918, and I found no reference to that pandemic. And I said, wow, so I'll be the first one to not have a quarterly in 287 years. So we canceled the quarterly, and then um, no one was happy. I was getting calls from all the um, associated bodies of masonry, wanting to know what they were going to do, how we were going to do it, when we were going to do it, when we could start meeting again, and that was only on day one. Um, At that point, we put out a statement, and that statement was that we were going to follow all federal, local, state guidelines and uh, work under their guidelines. And I was empowering all of the lodges, all of the masters to interpret those guidelines and move forward. And since that date, I have not put on any additional restrictions or guidelines and merely said, follow the guidelines set out by the various uh, governmental agencies. And that's how we've proceeded since day one. I think, you know, for me, what made me act so quickly is, um, you know, all heck was breaking loose. And I, I got two messages from two lodges. They were going to be doing doing degree work that week. And I'm like, I said, gee, I don't, I don't think they're listening to the news. So, you know, they they obviously were very upset that I, I did what I did. But, you know, we had no, you know, we had no choice. And uh, you know, working with the Grand Council and the district deputies, and, and our grand secretary, it was it was very helpful. Obviously, the challenges have have been difficult for everybody involved, but I guess one of the questions that I have is, from your perspective, what are what are some of the benefits the fraternity has gained as a result of this shift to Zoom or this shift to more open and direct online communication? I'd love to. I'd love to start that one. Um, so there's a there's a call that started um, happens initially it was running every Tuesday it's now every other Tuesday um, but uh, these two brethren here on the screen with me I've been uh, I've been more connected to them over the last six months than than I had in my entire Masonic career and it's because uh, we started what was called the the New England Grand Masters call on Tuesday evenings. Uh, went from 7.30 to about 9 o'clock. And we we basically spoke about whatever it was that was on our mind at the moment. So as you can well imagine, early on, we were kind of comparing notes on how are you handling COVID? What are you doing to shut down? What are you doing to bring things back up? Uh, it was a great, great information sharing experience. It's now, uh, since then, expanded to... Uh, many more jurisdictions beyond New England that are involved. Um, And that brings a different perspective because a number of those jurisdictions geographically are much, much larger than any state in New England. So what started out as a nice information sharing um, session that we had with the Grand Masters, and, and I will point out, that all the Grand Masters of New England participated in this. Uh, it was a great event that's now expanded to something even larger and more effective. 
Yeah, with with reference to that, um, that's one of the huge benefits that's resulted from this pandemic. Um, as much as each one of us would love to take credit for being uh, leaders and getting the job done, it truly was, at least in New England, a six-state collabor collaborative effort to figure out how to deal with this. And we all uh, participated. We all had input. And we all benefited by that uh, by that collaboration, which, which frankly, you know, as much as we, we do talk to each other on a regular basis, it was nothing compared to this. It really brought us all very close together and uh, helped us all get the job done. So other than the pandemic, what sort of challenges have you faced as Grandmaster during your respective terms? Um. You know, the I guess for me, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was uh, where I, I could go to every event that I was invited to and still maintain that balance um, at home and, and, you know, for my own health, too, obviously, because it's easy for your health to get away from you. You know, you're doing so many things and you're going out so much. It's, it's easy to forget about yourself, you know, and... Um, you know, we, we're fortunate. We have our wives saying, "You know, what are you doing? You know, you've got to you've got to stop for a minute." I think, um, and uh, I'm digressing. But um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Other than the COVID pandemic, what sort of challenges have you faced as Grandmaster that we as members may not be uh, visible to? Uh, you know, it, it's. It's the, the demands on the office, really, uh, that, you know, you, you know, the bell rings, you know, you think you're busy as a district deputy and, um, you know, that's all the fun stuff. You, it's fun. And when you become grandmaster, you, you're the representative of your grand jurisdiction and the phone or the emails, they just don't stop coming and you want to be able to answer every single one and you want to make sure you know, I always wanted to make sure if I was an event, boy, I had a good message to bring. You know, I wanted to make sure that um, I was a good steward of the office. And, um, you know, I was always like, hopefully I'm saying the right thing. You know, that was always first and foremost in my mind. And, and that I was, you know, making the brethren proud of me as Grandmaster and that uh, they were proud of what was going on in Rhode Island. I was uh, I was driving home from my home lodge almost a year ago, and uh, I looked at my phone. I had started my car, and I looked at my phone. I had gone out in the parking lot, and I had a message, and it said, Morrison Lodge is on fire. Oh, boy, yeah. And I thought, well, does that mean they're doing a lot of really good things, and they're on fire? <laughs> Or does it mean something else? Regrettably, it meant something else. Um, which I think, Tim, this is this is another thing that I mean, at least in the case of of New Hampshire, it, it takes ten years as you prepare yourself to be grandmaster, and you're confronted with all sorts of issues. But this one, this one, you just can't plan for. 
Um, and I think that's why it makes the, the two individuals here on this call with me so special. It's because you just never know what's going to happen that hasn't happened to this point in your Masonic career. And it's a credit to them to be able to adapt and pivot and adjust as well as they have. Grandmaster Maggio, uh, I know that you've, I think you've had the shortest term so far, but I'd love to hear from you as to what your biggest challenge has been so far. My biggest challenge and it's probably more of a personal one because I never realized um, how much of it existed, but it's upsetting when you don't see harmony in your lodges. When you have a, you know, in, in, we have a big jurisdiction, so don't, don't let me take it out of perspective. It's not a lot, but when you're personally dealing with it every day, it's overwhelming. Um, past masters that just won't give up control and let their new leaders lead is very frustrating because it doesn't allow for growth. Um, harmony between blue lodges and building associations, big one. The, the, those who control the building want to control the lodge. And then having to deal with, uh, you know, reprimand suspensions and expulsions. There aren't a lot of them, but every one I feel requires a significant amount of due diligence because not only you're talking about a, a brother, you're talking about a brother that um, may have strayed off somewhat and how we treat them could have significant effect not only on their Masonic life, but on their personal life as well. So I spend a lot of time doing the background work before I make any decisions regarding things like suspensions or expulsions. And that, that's tough. It's a tough thing to do. It's very challenging. So it's come up a, a couple of times here in this conversation uh, when you speak about your terms, but in doing research for this episode, I learned that uh, the three gentlemen who we've got here with us tonight have drastically different term lengths within within their jurisdictions. I, I say drastic, it's a relative term, I guess. But most worshipful brother Poynton, you uh, ended your term in May, and in Rhode Island, grandmasters only serve a single-year term. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, uh, which means you are going 100 miles an hour, for 365 days a year, you got to get it all in in one time. And um, you know, if you have if you have initiatives that you want to do, um, you know, you have to be respectful to the grandmaster. You know, when you when you deputy grandmaster, you know, you you have to be. As my father used to say when we were little children, you have to be seen and not heard. <laughs> but you know, you have things that you want to do and. You have to do it very, very quietly or when you become grandmaster, that year is up and the initiatives that you want to do, you can't do. And uh, so I was fortunate that uh, my predecessor, Most Worshipful Carlson, allowed me to do things uh, quietly, uh, you know, while I was deputy grandmaster. And, um, you know, even then, I think... Uh, you know, you have these ideas and you put people together, but it really doesn't get going until you're grandmaster. You know, uh, like, okay, he's grandmaster. This is serious stuff. He really wants this done. And, um, you know, it takes, it, it, it takes a long time 
you know, to put programs together. And, you know, I wanted to uh, resurrect our leadership um, in the grand jurisdiction. And what I wanted to do, instead of having Grand Lodge do all the talking, I picked five pretty recent past masters of lodges that I knew uh, that had done a very good job and, and were really thoughtful brethren. And I said, you, under the tutelage of a past grandmaster, uh, you know, I said, come up with a program, you know, and me, you know, managing, you know, the professional life, uh, you know, it happens, you know, you can make things happen pretty quick in the business world. Not so much in the fraternal world. You know, I, you know, when we started the leadership, I said, well, you'll be done. And, you know, it'll be done by September. Well, September came and gone. And <laughs> October did. November did. December. You know, January. We're getting close. But, you know, these were thoroughbreds that, that I put on this committee. And they really took it very personal. And, um, you know, I want, I thought it would be helpful when we had these sessions that, that it was coming peer to peer. It wasn't Grand Lodge coming down. It was like, I know Mike, you know, I, you know, I know Mike very well. Um, what's he got to say? What were his issues when he was master? And, and that stuff, um, you know, if it actually, it actually, they had their first um, presentation to the brethren a week after I was done being grandmaster. But, you know, that stuff happens. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Because um, there's not much you can do. We, uh, we had a big issue uh, in Rhode Island with our building. Uh, it, it needed a lot of work. And um, a lot of work that was going to be done, no one would ever even see it because it was inside the walls. You know, we had some water damage and, but, uh, you know, if you're prepared, it was a pretty easy sell to the brethren. You know, uh, we got very fortunate with the stock market, you know, doing what they did. And again, I thought that was going to be a lot faster than, than it really was, too. I figured it wouldn't finish by the time I was grandmaster. And we were basically just getting started with the construction, you know, when I finished my term. So uh, things like that are, are you just have to go with the flow and um, try to manage it. Absolutely. Uh, Grandmaster Clay, you have a two-year term. Uh, you're in the second year of your two-year term. How do you feel that influences your decision-making and, and your experience as Grandmaster? I, I actually think that uh, New Hampshire was very thoughtful when they realized that, that a two-year period makes really, really good sense. You know, in your first year, you're still kind of working your way in. You have a grandmaster's message. You're out speaking to the craft about that message and the impact that it could potentially have on them. But it's something that's just sinking in. Um, I was very fortunate uh, in my term in that what usually happens is in November, we have election of a new grandmaster. And then in the spring, we have town hall sessions. And uh, most worshipful brother, John Lobdell, uh, our junior past grandmaster, 
uh, gave me the opportunity during his town hall sessions um, in the spring of 2019 to be able to explain what my message was. And I, and I really appreciate John letting me do that because then in May, when I was installed as Grandmaster, it gave me a, a chance to hit the ground running. Uh, so in the first year, you're really kind of rolling out your message. And then in the second year, you can really sit back and, and enjoy the fact that people understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish when you start seeing the fruits of your labors. Now, granted, this is a bit of, an, of a weird year with COVID. It's a little more Absolutely. challenging to be able to do that. But regardless... Um, I think it's a very good model having having a two year period where you use that first year to ramp up your message and then your second year to really see it take effect. And Grandmaster Maggio, you are uh, in your first of three years uh, as Grandmaster. How do you feel that that will uh, how do you feel that that's going to impact your experience? And and what do you foresee your job as Grandmaster over the course of those three years? Well, the obvious is continuity of programs, goals, and agenda moving forward. We've got three years to do it. Um, one of the things that has struck me right off the bat is that um, in spite of the pandemic, I will still be able to rule, guide, and enjoy travel to other jurisdictions where most of my counterparts are not going to be able to experience a lot of the usual and customary things that we as grandmasters do, which is unfortunate. Um, but having said that, we have a saying in Massachusetts, and it goes something like this, it's a three-year term. Year one is, I can do no wrong. Year two is, I can do no right. And year three, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> but, uh, we, we will certainly uh, give it our best shot for the three years and uh, – you know, it, it's it's kind of interesting. I'm sure you, Tim, and everyone else uh, today listening knows exactly what they would do if they became Grandmaster. If I was Grandmaster, this is what I'd do. Not ever thinking it would ever be sitting in that chair. And then you have to really sit and think long and hard about all those things that you wanted to do Maybe or maybe they don't make as much sense as they do now. So, that's if, one if nothing else, my last eighteen months as master has shown me that I, no matter what intentions I had going into the chair, I had no idea what I was getting myself into uh, when I was sitting in it. So I completely understand that sentiment. It's a it's a different world, and to to live that and to to deal with it through one, two, or three years. That's a, that's a lot of work to handle, and it's a big agenda to get through, and especially in the case of Rhode Island, a single year. seems like it would be a, a really tough tough time to get your, your goals accomplished. Yeah, it is. It's like you're, just, you're just going 100 miles an hour from day one, and, um, you know, that, that, that is a challenge. You know, the way where Rhode Island is a progressive line, uh, and you're, you know, from start to finish, it's nine years. And um, you get five years as a district deputy, and those are the fun years because you don't have to really make a lot of decisions. You can just yep. go, you can always put them up the ladder, and then uh, you know when you become a member of the Grand Council, it's it's a little more. Now you're focusing on the business side, right? 
and uh, you're seeing a, a part of that that you didn't didn't know and that type of thing. So that's that's another interesting point, and I think we'll we'll work with that. Your path to grandmaster is certainly different than I know New Hampshire's is, in that you serve five years as a district deputy, and then there's the the council. Uh, most worshipful Clay, what was what was your path to the grandmaster to the to the Grand Orient? So um, I'm one of those uh, those rare folks that was not a district officer. Uh, I had completed my term as uh, as master of my lodge in 2006 when uh, I was attending a, a function and I was asked to go into another room and uh, and uh, it was the grandmaster that was speaking with me or soon to be grandmaster and um, and he said he had an important question to ask me um, and that was the start. Uh, since then, the way things work here in New Hampshire is that you start out uh, as junior grand deacon, senior grand deacon, then you become junior uh, junior grand warden, senior grand warden, deputy grand master and grand master. So for us, uh, it's a 12 year journey. Uh, very rewarding journey. Oh yeah. And Grandmaster oh, Maggio, how does it work in Massachusetts? Very differently. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> we have no progressive line. There is none. There is one qualification to be grandmaster, and that is you have to be a past master. Um, however, we do have many traditions. What um, the sitting grandmaster yearly appoints a deputy grandmaster. That's an appointed position, and it's yearly, and it's by the sitting grandmaster. Uh, simultaneously, the sitting grandmaster will select two brothers to run for the warden positions, two for each position, so two juniors, two seniors. There will be an election in December. Now, those wardens and in in that deputy serve one year and become what we call permanent voting members of Grand Lodge, and then they go into a pool, and from that pool is selected the next grandmaster, and he is selected by the past grandmasters, of which there are currently seven living. Um, their choice typically runs unopposed at the December quarterly communication and is installed on December 27th for a one-year term and typically ter serves three one-year terms. Now, nominations may be accepted from the floor. However, the last time that happened was 1862. So if you can if you can picture that you've got a deputy senior and junior on a yearly basis so during my term in theory I would have 12 three deputies three seniors and three juniors that will go into that pool and currently that pool sits at about 85 wow. members and then uh, come around March April May the past grandmasters uh, huddle tightly and behind closed doors for several weeks and uh, they wait for the smoke to come out of the chimney. And we have, I, a, I was just thinking it sounds like a Vatican council and that's pretty much the way it works. Wow. I, I actually didn't know that. That's a really interesting uh, method of selecting a grandmaster, which, uh, which office got you into the pool? I was junior grand warden in 2015. Okay. And 
And then in 2000, interestingly enough, I was asked by the uh, my predecessor uh, in 2017 to be Grand Marshal. Typically, a Grand Marshal is not a um, permanent member. It's usually a past master. He asked me. I accepted. We had a great three-year run. And much to my surprise, I woke up one morning and got a phone call and said, uh, you're it. Get ready. Wow. <laughs> That is, a, that is an interesting method of selection. I never considered something like that. Um, for Most Worshipful Poynton and Grandmaster Clay, both of you served as Deputy Grandmaster uh, in a progressive line. How do you feel that term as Deputy Grandmaster prepared you for being Grandmaster? Ken? Okay. Well, I, um, I thought that um, – it really started when I became a district deputy, when I went in line, because that set the tone that the brethren would learn about me. Um, so, you know, I was, I was about, you know, as in Rhode Island, a district deputy installs every lodge in his district. So we do the whole installation. So by the time I'm finished, we've installed, uh, we've done an installation at every single lodge. So they all get to see me and they they saw how i how serious i was and uh, wanting to make sure that um i gave them good in good good um a good installation and then got out of the way you know i felt that you know i i sh to an extent i'm like a referee at a football game you know if you do your job people don't even see you you know and um i i just felt that and my grand uh, marshal, my master ceremonies, we just do a good job and get out of the way. But people got to know me on the way up. So there wasn't really um, a lot of surprise. There weren't any, I don't think, I, I, the surprise that I heard the most um, when I became grandmaster, oh, he's kind of funny. Because <laughs> I was so serious, uh, wanting to do such a good job on the way up. They thought I was, you know, this no, no frills, no nothing, no, you know, person is all serious. And, but, um, you know, they were surprised when I actually could lighten up a little bit. And I, and, and so in Rhode Island, uh, the junior that you become, once you're done with being a district deputy, then you become junior grand warden. And that is a bear of a year. Uh, you everything gets dumped on the junior green warden in Rhode Island. You've got to plan the um, all the functions, and uh, of course you're the you are the liaison liaison between all the grand offices and the and the grand master. So everybody's calling you and asking you know what do you think, and then you got to reach out to the grand master. So and then senior warden comes and. Rhode Island, you've got two years to get ready to be grandmaster. And so we don't call, we don't ask a lot of the senior grand warden and the deputy grandmaster to do things. Um, you know, I did some traveling uh, as deputy grandmaster just because, you know, that's the way it worked out um, for my predecessor. And uh, so for me, it was okay, you know, get the, get the engines charged. And, and, and uh, so when I became grandmaster, I was really, I thought it was somewhat fresh, really. How about you, Grandmaster Clay? So that, that's really where this came from. Um, yep. 
in New Hampshire, uh, when you're deputy grandmaster, uh, there's a couple of things uh, that uh, kind of slow up a little bit. You don't have quite as much ritual that you have to recite uh, during things like lodges of instruction and annual and semi-annual communications. And I really think that uh, the system was built so that uh, you are waiting a time with patients, but knowing that that time is coming quickly. Uh, so it's where you really have to start your planning. It's really where you need to start lining up who are going to be the appointed offices during your term that are going to take the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire to a different level. So um, I was also very, very fortunate in that uh, most worshipful brother Lobdell was a tremendous mentor, spent a lot of time with me, encouraging me uh, to make sure that I, I had all of my plans in place, uh, coaching me and and all along the way. So that's one of the things that I've really found about this journey is that you really do develop um, an extended family, if you will, of brethren. You're with them for 10 to 12 years. Um, and I was very fortunate in that the grandmaster ahead of me uh, took me by the arm and, and really helped me every step of the way. Now, uh, piggybacking on Grandmaster Maggio's comment, it looks like there might be some discussion in the chat here about Grand Marshals becoming Grand Master. I believe Jerry Becker has joined us, and uh, I think he's trying to run from that duty there, Ken. You, uh, you may want to watch I, out. I think he is, but uh, but I will say that Grandmaster Maggio was a fantastic Grand Marshal, but this Jerry Becker, man, <laughs> he, he is awesome. We were at a large oh, uh, last night, and uh, the question was asked, Jerry, how long have you been our uh, our Grand Marshal? And he answered, 14 years. He's been uh, in that role for 14 years. And uh, and I'll, I'll share a little story. When I was uh, I was speaking with um, with the person who I had planned to appoint as the junior Grand Deacon, uh, his his lady had one caveat in him saying yes. And that was that. Uh, that Jerry Becker continued to be the grand marshal. Uh, so uh, I went to Jerry and said, please, you have to, you have to stay with us. And thank goodness he did. He's a great guy. Fantastic. Yeah. Some of my most pervasive memories of masonry, Jerry has been grand marshal for my entire uh, career in masonry and he's always been there and it's, it's always a sight to see. We do have a question in the chat and I think uh, this is one that many people may want to hear. Uh, with masonry changing and adapting to modern times, the conversation about merging lodges is certainly something that gets out there more and more. And we certainly hear about it more and more. And I guess the question in the chat was, um, do you think that it's healthy for the craft? Hey, Tim, I, I'm going to take a shot at that one. It's interesting. Most, most of our brothers don't really know the, know our history. And if you go back in our history, you'll find out that these times aren't much different than previous times. And over the years, many, many, many lodges have merged in the past. So it's not really unusual. I think if you went back over the proceedings of uh, New Hampshire and Rhode Island, you'd probably find the same things. New lodges come online and other lodges merge. Um, the only downside that I see with merged lodges is 
you lose your community's identity. And that can be a little problematic. Um, it's very difficult to maintain that when you, you know, merge with another lodge and you start meeting in a different community, you start to lose those ties over time. And um, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Ken? It, it's, you know, you're right. You, um, Grandmaster Maggio's, you, um, you do, you do lose uh, your place in the community. I, I can remember in Situate, um, where I was in Malay, you know, our lodge was, it was strong. It was a strong lodge. And then they just, they just get tired. And, uh, but, you know, you could always go to the art festival or whatever and know, you know, okay, I know where I'm going to park. I know I'm going to be able to sit and talk to brethren and just shoot the breeze and, um, have a place to, you know, just sit down and talk. And, uh, but unfortunately, Lodges get tired. The brethren get tired. And, um, you know, it's tough when a lodge goes dark, but, uh, you know, it's usually the best thing for that lodge. And, you know, we have, uh, we had one lodge uh, merge. Uh, it was very sad for the lodge that, that had to go dark, but I was very, um, you know, I was, I was, I was, confident that the lodge that um, they merged with was uh, going to make sure they honored that lodge that merged with them. They did, you know, they, they, it happened to be good timing because uh, Jenks, they were losing their temple. They were actually going to lose their building due to some construction going on in Pawtucket. So they, actually moved and they moved to where uh, St. Andrews met, which is, you know, a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, they, uh, but more importantly, you know, every, you know, they, they, they remember the lodges that merged in with them. And at least once a year, what they do is they will take the, um, the cover, the altar cover and of that, of, whatever lodge merge, and that will be the altar, you know, covering for that meeting. So, you know, every year, at least St. Andrews will, they remember St. Andrews. And so many times, I think we've all seen it, a merge happens and the brethren from the lodge that, that went dark, they just stop going. They don't feel welcome. I think that, I think that change is inevitable. Even for Masons, we all know that we don't like to change, but it has to happen. Um, so when you reach that point where you realize that a change is needed, there are a couple things that we've done here in the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire. Um, the first is we put together a merger checklist uh, that we make available to the district deputy grand masters to work with the, the lodge masters so that they can go through and make sure they're doing a really good job of making sure, in fact, this is the right thing for the two impacted lodges. Uh, and then the other thing that we do is we, we assign a member of the, the Grand Lodge uh, line to be a part of that committee uh, as an oversight to uh, provide mentoring, if you will, to, uh, to provide instruction and guidance on anything they might've missed. Um, unfortunately, over time, I've seen uh, mergers fail miserably. I'd like to think 
that since some of these recent changes have been made, that uh, the merger process has gone well. I think the single biggest message that we can give to any lodge that's considering merging is we need to absolutely make sure that we respect the previous lodge and the members of that lodge as they're welcomed into a combined lodge. We need to make sure that they feel every bit as welcome in the and in the new lodge as they did uh, in the merged lodge. I think that's a great point. And I think that echoed across all three answers is that making sure the history and and the membership is maintained to the, the standards that they expect. I think that's a really good way to put that. We are about to hit an hour and that means we're going to start wrapping up. So in order to wrap up, I have two questions that I'd like to ask each of you. These questions are more personal and relate more to you as, as Masons and grandmasters than I think some of these other ones have. The first question is if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to yourself when you were raised, what would that piece of advice be? So I'll go first. Um, I think the advice would be to enjoy, to thoroughly enjoy the journey from day one. Um, I think it's, it's just natural as it is in human life. That is the clock keeps ticking. You look back and you say, wow, that was really fun. I wish I had enjoyed it more at the time. Um, the moment the moment you become an entered apprentice, that clock begins, start the enjoyment of your journey and absolutely fulfill it to your best throughout. Grandmaster, I, I, I would um, echo Brother Clay's thoughts as well. And, and I think it's more, um, I think, when we come into the craft, there's a lot that we don't know. It's a, it's a learning experience. It's an educational experience. And if I had the knowledge that this craft provides so many things, like the means and methods to accomplish things that I never thought I could, and the fraternity is responsible for that. But you have to ask for the help. You have to ask for a little assistance. Um, the other, the other piece is, is that, um, and I've been promoting this lately, is that that dues card is really a passport. I consider it a passport. That's what I speak about a lot now. It's a passport to go anywhere in the world, and you'll be recognized as a brother, and you'll have a friend. And um, I don't know if we really comprehended that, if I comprehended that at the beginning of the journey. I know it was said, but I didn't think I really comprehended that. I think we have to really make that known to new entered apprentices that uh, it, it's such a wonderful journey. And again, as Brother Clay said, but you have to enjoy it. And enjoying it means getting out of the lodge room. Oh, absolutely. I, I visited lodges in the Bahamas. I visited the Grand Lodge of Ireland. And you're right. That document is a passport. I, I don't know what I expected when I walked into a lodge in a, for, a foreign jurisdiction and the experience that I received as a brother was exactly the same as I would have experienced at home. And that was a, that was an eye opener for me. Yeah. Most worshipful brother Poynton. Well, this is a classic case of um, when you're grandmaster, you're the last to speak. 
So you're sitting there in a lodge room and you're calling on everybody to speak. And they're like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to say that now. I guess I'm not going to say that because <laughs> they're all saying it. But I don't think I could say it really any better. Uh, enjoy the journey and make the most of it. Uh, you know, pay attention when you're traveling. And boy, I, I know we went to uh, we went to uh, a vacation in, in uh and it was uh, Bermuda, and we we uh, go into the beach, and there's a, a lodge. They have the the uh, they were the vendor for selling soft drinks, you know, um, on the beach, and it was just wonderful, um, you know. And uh, uh, you just have to enjoy, it and you have to listen listen uh, to the brethren because they really want to share their knowledge with you. Uh, I remember when I. When I when I was became an um, entered apprentice, uh, the next day I went to work, and lunchtime came, and you know John uh, John said, "Come here, come here, <laughs> you know, come into my office. Do you have your book with you?" I'm like, "Well, no, I don't have my book. And who are the heck? What are you doing?" You know, and he was a past master of a lodge, and and he said, "You bring your book every day now," and uh, you know I was fortunate that I. Uh, he wasn't even a member of the lodge and we worked every day on that. And, uh, you know, we became, we became great friends. The friendships that, that we make is unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, I can, you know, I would go to Scottish right before, before I was in, in Grand Line and, you know, I'd see so-and-so in a distance, but I never really got to know him until I started this journey. And that you, you can't you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah, you you hit on a key point point there, brother Point, and that was, um, and I don't think we realize it when we start. Stay away from the clique. Stay away from your friends. Reach out to everyone in the lodge. They have so much to offer. They're so interesting. They're such great men. And you know, initially you're new, so you know you, you don't you don't leave your comfort zone. You, you, you're with one or two brothers, maybe three or four, and you kind of hang with them all the time. Reach out to all the other members. Some of my best experiences have been with those that I never knew. And when I finally reached out to them, I was just amazed. Mm. That's yeah. fantastic advice. And then the last question that I'm going to ask the three of you, and we'll start with most worshipful brother Poynton. What in your case, what do you miss most about being Grandmaster? Well, forget about the COVID, okay? Let's pretend that didn't happen. Um, what I miss, um, I don't, I think if I miss it in Rhode Island, it's because I, lo I, I, I don't go anywhere anymore, right? Uh, so the brotherhood, the camaraderie, um, that's up to me. To make sure that doesn't stop when I'm when I'm in Rhode Island, but what I I will miss is the traveling out outside of the jurisdiction. Um, we've my wife and I have made extraordinary lifelong friendships that uh, we're going to miss that. We will miss that, and we know um, we have to work hard to make sure those relationships continue. I mean, I, I, 
I tell you, I say a funny story, but um, we were at an event. I, I, I think it was um, in New Hampshire at the uh, when the the, um, the Northeast Conference of Grandmasters, and it was at the airport, right? And my wife was speaking to most worshipful brother Maggio's wife, and we're like, "Well, who's going to tell him we want to go to bed?" <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, well, I guess I, I'll do it, right? You know, and I went over and said to my wife, you know, we're thinking about going to bed. She said, excuse me, I'm in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> I remember so the, women, <laughs> the women, I think, became tighter than the men. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's what I will miss. Um, boy, uh, just seeing most worshipful brother Clay and, and his wife. And it's just... Boy, we made some great friends. Grandmaster Clay, your your final term as Grandmaster will end in May of 2021. What do you think it is that you're going to miss most about being Grandmaster? You know, it's interesting. You start ticking off the box of a bunch of, well, that's the last of that, and that's the last of that. Uh, it, it catches up over time because you realize that a number of things won't happen again. I, I, you know, Ken, I completely agree with you. The the ability to travel outside the jurisdiction to uh, continue to foster friendships with, with with those folks is definitely going to be missed. If I were had, if I were to pick one other thing, I know it may sound odd, but I'm going to miss line meetings. Uh, I meet with the Grand Line every month. And we get together and we break bread and we meet for about three hours and we discuss the business of Freemasonry, soup to nuts, the good, the bad, and the, the not so good. And, um, and from that, we have bonded such a friendship. Everyone from the junior grand deacon to the grand master, we just, we all consider ourselves family. And I'm I'm really gonna miss those monthly opportunities to to sit down with those guys and and share. Grandmaster Mangio, you still have 27 months left in your term. You've really just kicked off your time as Grandmaster, and you've already been presented with these challenges. So maybe you don't know the answer to this yet, but as of today, what do you think you're going to miss most about being Grandmaster? Well, I've been paying attention to uh, what, what my two esteemed colleagues have said, and I'm going to do all that for 27 months. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's going to be the uh, – some of it's going to be the daily interactions because I'm hands-on, you know, 24-7, seven days a week. Um, that's going to be one piece of it. Um, the, the relationships that we've made – throughout New England, and that's now extended throughout the world. Um, it's going to be tough to duplicate that or to stay in touch at the same level that we are now. But I will say this. I think it's this, you know, with the grand, as Grand Master or as Master of your Lodge, we both have those opportunities. and We need to take advantage of them while we're in those positions, and then we need to figure out a way to keep it going after. And that's what's going to be tough. Absolutely. With that, uh, brethren, I have no more questions. I think that you have answered far more than we expected. And I think we had a great night and a great conversation. So allow me to extend my thanks on behalf of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire 
and the membership in New Hampshire for joining us this evening. Most worshipful brother Poynton, I know that you have served uh, as Grand Master. We also invited most worshipful brother Gary Kaufman to join us this evening. He was otherwise engaged, but we'd like to thank you and, and the Grand Lodge of Rhode Island for uh, for being here. Most worshipful brother Maggio, thank you and the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, and most worshipful brother Clay, thank you so much for allowing us to have this this venue and and speak with the brothers and hear stories and share those stories with the the members of New Hampshire and whoever else may be tuned in. So thank you all. Tim, I wanted to uh, to extend your thanks to uh, to these distinguished brethren. Uh, brethren, you know, we, what we, what did Grandmaster Maggio, he said, said, he said, get outside the four walls of your lodge, travel and see other things. And I think what we've done tonight is we've traveled outside the four walls of New Hampshire and we've seen what happens in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's opened our eyes to, to new opportunities. So I want to thank, uh, these two fine men, uh, for taking time out of their, their family time to, to be here with us this evening. Always a very welcome. And Thank on you a, for asking. Absolutely. Thank ahead. you for remembering me. <laughs> I owe you each an ice cream. Ooh, okay. Me too. We're coming. We can, me too. Absolutely, Tim. I, I do love a good ice cream. Thank you. Uh, brethren, thank you for joining us this evening. And the Granite Cornerstone will be back on November 1st with episode three. We've been there where we hope to listen to three brothers who have served Freemasonry for over 40 years each. So thank you for being here with us tonight, and hopefully we'll see you on November 1st. Have a good night.